Luke chapter 8. I think the, uh, the reason that song means so much to me is because every time I think of that song, I think of Jennifer singing it. And every time I hear her sing it, I think of her living it. And I'm very grateful and thankful for the autobiographical nature of that song in her life as she sings it. It's a blessing. It's a blessing. Luke chapter 8. Jesus stills the storm. I want to talk to you this morning about the blessing in the storm. I hope that we all leave here this morning with a new, fresh understanding of what a storm is and the role it plays in our lives and that all of the things that we have predetermined in our own human thinking about storms would be changed and corrected according to God's truth and what He'll show us this morning. I want us to begin reading... Luke chapter 8 and verse 22. The Bible says, Now it happened on a certain day that Jesus got into a boat with His disciples and He said to them, Let us cross over to the other side of the lake. And they launched out. But as they sailed, He fell asleep. And then a windstorm came down onto the lake and they were filling with water and were in jeopardy. And they came to Him and they woke Him saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. Then Jesus arose and rebuked the wind and the raging of the water. And they ceased, and there came a calm. And Jesus said unto His disciples, He said, Where is your faith? And they were afraid and marveled, saying to one another, Who can this be that He commands even the winds and the water? And they obey Him. Father, we thank You for this Word. We know, God, it's intended to us, Lord. And so, Father, we receive it gladly with joy. Now we ask You give us ears to hear and hearts to receive it, Lord. Help us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, first I want us to see some misunderstandings about storms, some things that we sort of presuppose about characteristics of storms that this passage of Scripture will teach us are not always necessarily true. The first thing in verse 22 that we see are that storms are often circumstances that come into our lives on ordinary days and on ordinary ways. Storms don't necessarily come in these big wow moments of life. The Bible says in verse 22, it says, Now it happened on a certain day that Jesus got into a boat with His disciples. I want you to understand this is the same thing as me saying, well, now it happened on a certain day. My wife got in her car and went to Walmart. It happens all the time. That's how they traveled. That's how I eat. Now, it would be a miracle if I said, now it happened on a certain day. My wife got in the car and went to Walmart and Tony went with her. (laughs) That ain't happened yet. But this is just a normal day. God uses ordinary experiences in our lives to test our faith. The first thing you've got to see is that this isn't some spectacular day that everyone was sort of leading up to and they were all sitting in anticipation saying, Lord, what are we going to do today? What's going to be the big news today? And He said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to get in the boat and go across the lake. That's what they did all the time. So it's just another moment. So there they go, into the boat. And you know what? That's how your faith is going to be tested. 
You see, if you're here this morning and you're a student, your faith is going to be tested in the classroom because that's your ordinary day. That's where you are. If you're a single adult here today, your faith is going to be tested in your social relationships because that's where you are. If you're married, your faith is going to be tested in your marriage. If you have children, need I say more? You see, God tests you where you are. So you need to understand that as you live your life, God is always in the midst. And sometimes He brings these tests into our lives. And most of the time, it's in ordinary circumstances. It just happens and you wake up one day and suddenly things are out of control. The phone rings. And on the other end of the line, suddenly there's a storm. But you didn't know when you went to bed that that day was going to be any different than any other day. Every single day is an opportunity for God to increase our faith, to test our faith, to show us who He is. And really, what is faith? Faith really is choosing to do things God's way when there's no human reason to do so. That's really what faith is. Faith is when you, when you just determine that you're going to go God's way and it's, it doesn't really make a lot of sense, humanly speaking. That's faith. It doesn't take faith for you to do something that you can do naturally on your own. That's ability. But when you find yourself in a place in life where you're doing things and there's really no human reason to do it, oftentimes when, when I'm walking in faith... The unbelievers who know me are bewildered or baffled by what I'm doing. Because that's the nature of what faith is. So that's the first thing I want you to see is that God uses ordinary days in ordinary ways. Second thing I want you to see that we tend to miss is that obedience can lead us out of or into a storm. You see... Our tendency is to see storms in our lives as somehow God's judgment against us for our disobedience. And that very well may be true, but that's not always necessarily the case. And what we need to begin to see this morning is that sometimes it's obedience that leads us into a storm. That sometimes storms don't have anything to do with our disobedience. Now, let's just clarify something. Sin is what's wrong with this world. And when we act in sin, it will bring, it will absolutely, positively will bring pain and suffering into your life. And so a storm may be initiated in your life by our own stupidity. That's true. But that's not always true. And so we need to be aware that there are more than, there's more than one way for a storm to come into your life. Notice in the second part of verse 22, the Bible says, Jesus says to them, let us cross over to the other side of the lake, and they launched out. Notice the disciples were being obedient. God said, get in the boat. They didn't say, uh-uh. They didn't say, I don't feel like it. Peter didn't say, I get seasick. They got in the boat. They did what God said. And I know it doesn't seem like an earth-shattering thing here, but it's subtle, but it's critical that we understand. 
that these disciples were acting in obedience to God, yet it was leading them right into a storm. You know, just before this happens, Jesus is teaching a great multitude. Where are they when the disciples find themselves in a storm? In other words, the disciples were obedient and came with Jesus across the lake. But there was thousands of people who went home. And when the storm blew in, they're sleeping safe and sound in their bed. In fact, many of the people who were disobedient to the message that God just preached went home. And when the storm came, they were snuggled up in their bed, warm and cozy. Does that seem unfair to you? If it does, it's because we misunderstand the nature and the blessing of the storm. That's what I want you to see. Not everyone was invited into the boat. Not everyone was invited into the storm. Sometimes, in our obedience and in God's grace, He invites us into a storm. Don't succumb to this error that supposes that the Christian life brings freedom from trouble. Don't believe this. Jesus makes this clear in John chapter 8 when He says, if the Son makes you free, you'll be free indeed. He's not talking about freedom or some exemption from normal trials or storms in life. He's talking about freedom from the guilt and the life-controlling power of sin. That's what He's talking about. You see, Jesus just got done teaching the parable of the soils. And two of the four soils believed initially, but one soil, when temptation came, fell away. The other soil, when the cares and the concerns of life came in, fell away. And so what does that teach us? That for all the soils, they have to face what? Temptations and cares and trials. That this is the nature of the Christian life. You're not exempt from suffering. And so be careful when a storm blows into your life that you're looking up to God and you're saying, why have you done this? Well, I've been so obedient. I've been doing the right thing. Maybe it's God's grace to bring you there. It may be His hand of discipline, but it may be His grace and mercy. You see, if you believe... If you believe, if you walk down the path of believing that when the presence of God is in your life, it prevents you from going into a storm. When a storm comes, as I see it, you only have two options. And this is important. Because I'm certain that there are some of you in this room and you believe that that because of what you do, because of who you are, that God should not put you in a storm situation. And here's what's going to happen to you. Number one, a storm comes into your life and you're left to do nothing but to doubt the presence of God in your life. See, the only way to explain a storm, if you believe that someone, that God's in their life won't get in a storm, then when a storm comes, you must think, well, God must not be there. Number two... Your only other option is to doubt the power of God to control the storm. And both of those are deadly errors. So please hear me. Jesus never promised a trouble-free life. In the very next chapter of Luke, Luke chapter 9, verse 22 and 23... 
Jesus is going to say, the Son of Man must suffer. And if any man would come after him or come after me, he says, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Implication, if there's not suffering present in your life, you're not following. So can we please dispel with the myth that everything's going to be okay if God's in your life as far as storms are concerned? Maybe after today we will see storms in a different way. The Bible says in Acts chapter 14 verse 22 that we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. The Bible's so clear about this. We just don't want to hear it. We don't want to hear it. So storms come on ordinary days and in ordinary ways and storms come through disobedience and they come through obedience. Now let's look at the blessing in the storm. Let's let this passage begin to mold and shape our understanding of storms. Storms reveal who God is and who we are. Here's how that works. Look at verse 23. The Bible says in verse 23 that as they sailed, Jesus fell asleep. Now this is important. This is going to tell us some things about God that we need to know. This one small, tiny little sentence teaches us about the humanity of God and the deity of God all in one sentence. Let me show you how this works. As I studied this, I just began to fixate on this little bitty statement. Because I began to see, first of all, Jesus fell asleep in a storm. Why is He asleep? He's asleep because He's fully human. And he's been ministering all day. And this comes at the end of a long day. And thousands of people have been thronging to get near him. In fact, so many people were were there when he was teaching the parable of the soils. And they were pushing him into the water that he had to get on a boat and teach from a floating platform for all the people to hear what he had to say. And when I read this, I think, God, thank you for reminding me what I already knew and confirming in my heart that ministry wears you out. Jesus is human and he's tired. He's not playing possum. He's not pretending. He's asleep because he's worn out because he's been teaching people all day long. He's fully human. That's big news. You know why? Because that means that he really does know what it's like to be you. He really does know what it's like to be exhausted. He knows what it's like to be at the end of your rope. He knows what it's like to feel the things you feel because he was fully human. So much so that when he got tired, I mean, think about this. In just a few minutes, he's going to command nature to do what he says and it's going to instantly listen, yet he's tired. So at the same moment he's fully human, he is utterly and completely The God of the universe. You know why? Not because He stills the sea, because we haven't gotten there yet. If this ended in verse 23 and we knew what was coming, here's what this would tell us. Who could sleep knowing that a hurricane was about to come? In other words, look at verse 23, the second part. And a windstorm came. That word windstorm in the Greek, Greek, that's where we get our word hurricane from. This isn't like a little thunder shower. This is a major storm. And it came down onto the lake. And the boat began filling with water. And those who were in it were in jeopardy. Now, 
All this is going on. Just imagine you're there for a second. You're in the boat. You're out in the lake. Suddenly a giant hurricane blows up. The boat starts filling with water. Now, do you think that there was, shh, Jesus is sleeping. Let's be quiet. And then we go over here and go, Lord, Lord, are you sleeping? Could you wake up a minute? It's kind of bad out here. He's not down in the cabin. He's in a wooden boat asleep in a hurricane. He must be God. He must be. He's human enough to be asleep. I mean, human enough to to be tired, but God enough to be asleep. There's pandemonium in the boat. People think they're going to die. They're yelling and screaming and running around and clanging things and trying to bail water. And who knows what's going on? He's sound asleep. That, That tells us a lot about God. Jesus is the calm in the storm. That while... Everything around you is going crazy and everyone's screaming and yelling and running around in circles. There's Jesus asleep in the boat. He's not rattled. He's not shaken. He's sleeping because he's completely and utterly the God of the universe. But who are we in the storm? So often look at verse 24. It tells us about ourselves. So they came to him and they woke him up and they said, Master, Master, we are perishing. Trust me, if you were there, it wouldn't have been this calm and this laid out, I can assure you. They're screaming and yelling and panicking and they think they're going to die. And on one hand, we can be critical because they're deathly afraid and we can say, well, they're disciples, they ought to know better. But on the other hand, we got to give them credit. At least they knew enough to wake him up. I mean, it really isn't an issue of how long it takes you to get there. The issue is, do you finally end up with the right place with the right person? And so they knew enough to wake Jesus up. And here's the thing. Here's the thing about these men. They knew the power of God. They had seen Him heal diseases. They had seen blind people see and sick people healed and lame people walk. They knew His power over death. They were there when He interrupted the funeral and walked up to the widow's son and bam, He was alive. They saw that happen. They also know that God has power over nature because some of the men on this boat were in their boat and God came up and told the fish to jump in their net and they saw that happen too. So they know God's power over death and sickness and nature. Why were they so afraid? Well, number one, they were afraid because storms are scary. This isn't new news. See, some of you are in the midst of a storm and you feel guilty because you're afraid. Listen, cancer is scary. Death is sorrowful. Depression is dark. Brokenheartedness hurts. Wayward children is devastating. Listen, storms are scary. And anyone who tries to convince you that they're not is a liar and in denial. They're scary. No matter how strong your faith is, initially, storms are scary. All of them. Because that's what they are. Second reason why I believe they're afraid is because this storm is personal. See, in light of all they knew about God, this is different. 
You see, because all the miracles that they had seen Jesus do previously were solving other people's problems. And it's one thing to see God do miraculous things in other people's lives, but it's another thing to have God do it in your life. You see, they weren't the ones who were at the funeral mourning the loss of their son. They were never blind. They were never lame. They never had leprosy. So they had seen God do all these things, but that wasn't personal. But in a storm, here's what happens. Listen, in a storm, information becomes experience. It's one thing to know, and it's another thing to know. See, the Bible, the New Testament says, a lot of times you'll be reading along and you'll see K-N-O-W. And it means, in the Greek, the word is gnosis. And sometimes you'll see K-N-O-W. And in the Greek, the word is epinosis. This is gnosis. This is epinosis. Storms in other people's lives is this kind of knowing. Storms in your life is this kind of knowing. That's the difference. Listen, there's a huge difference between knowing that Jesus is in your boat and knowing the Jesus that's in your boat. Hello? There's a huge difference between knowing that Jesus is in your boat and knowing the Jesus that's in your boat. It's different. It's not the same. We need to be aware of this reality that, that, that people, people all the time will, will say, yeah, I know God. God's with me. But they don't know God. There's a difference between, yeah, I know God, and I know God. And we need to always remember this as a church. That when storms come into the lives of people that we love, we need to understand that it's a blessing. You know why it's a blessing? Because storms come into everyone's life. Amen? Storms come into the life of every person who never comes in church. Amen? So if that's true, thank God when storms come into your life that you're here. You see, it's a blessing that we know you and that we love you and that we pray for you and that we walk together because if it weren't for here, you'd be alone. You see? And so when a storm comes into my life, I don't want a storm. I don't like a storm. But when it comes into my life, I'm grateful that I'm here and that I know you and that you love me and that you pray for me. I'm grateful for that because they're coming regardless. But if they're going to come, I want to be here. See, if, if I knew, if we knew that every single one of us in here, if we knew for sure that every single one of us in here, our appendix was going to rupture in the next three days. But we didn't know when in the next three days. There would be a massive camp out in the emergency room. Right? Because if we know it's going to happen, we want to be right close to where we're going to get help. So if a storm comes into my life, this is where I want to be. I don't want to be lost and alone. I don't want to be out there in my own power and strength. I don't want to be away from God's people and His leading and His Spirit within me. I don't want that. See, it's all in the perspective in which we see the storm. Now, because I understand that very few of you in here are going to marvel at this, this next statement that Scripture has to say. The Bible says that then Jesus arose and rebuked the wind and the raging of the water, and they ceased, and there was calm. 
I mean, you don't have to be in church very long to be familiar with that statement. I mean, you, you've learned that on flannel graph and at VBS and all through Sunday school and heard it sung a thousand times. You know that. But here's what I want you to see. I want you to see that the, the power of God to control nature is only part of what's going on here. Look at the compassion of God. Look at how God responds. See, compassion is a sympathetic consciousness to the plight of other people with a desire to see that change. And God responds in compassion. See, it's one thing to be able to do something. I mean, this room is filled with testimonies of times in every one of our lives where we had the money to give, we had the time to serve, we had the resources to solve the problem, but we did nothing. But aren't you glad that God never does that? See, He's got all the resources, He's got all the power, but when the need comes, He responds. He's not like us. He doesn't get, He doesn't take a day off. He doesn't have a bad day, a tired day. He, God doesn't repent for messing up. He's always on time. He's always right. The supernatural compassion of God responds to His people when we're in need with the power to solve our circumstances and our situation and calm the seas of our heart. Psalm 86 says this, But you, O Lord, you're a God full of compassion and graciousness, long-suffering and abundant in mercy and truth. Jeremiah 33, God says, You call to me, you call to me and I'll answer you and I'll show you great and mighty things which you do not know. The Bible says in Psalm 50, God says, Call on me in your day of trouble and I will deliver you and you will glorify me. This is the God we serve. And then what does He do? He responds in compassion. And see, some may think, some may have a tendency to think that when we get to verse 25, here comes the scolding, here comes the belt, here comes the whipping. And what does God say? God says to them, I mean, one minute they're dying, the boat's sinking, the next minute, calm, slick as glass. And then he turns to his disciples and he says, where's your faith? Where's your faith? I mean, is, is he is he scolding them? Is he punishing them? He just saved them. He's thinking, you get it now. You get it. Do you do you have what I'm showing you here? Where is your faith? In other words, what is the object of your faith? Is your faith in your job? Is your faith in your health? Is your faith in your marriage or your family? Your faith might be in some good things. But if your faith isn't in Christ, it's in a wrong thing. Because your marriage, no matter how good it is, it can't calm the seas. Your children, no matter how obedient they are, they can't control nature. Your job can fail. Your finances can fail. Your health can fail. Where is your, where is your faith placed? What is or who is the object of your faith in the storm? The issue is the objective recipient of your faith. Where is it? Where? Jesus said, hey, I just... I just spoke a couple words, saved your life, made everything smooth. Now, let's just make sure we're all on the same page here. Where is it? Where? Finally, we see this. They're afraid. They respond to Jesus in fear and marvel. Now, 
This isn't the fear that's left over from the sinking boat filling with water. This is new fear. See, because that fear was fear that they were going to what? Die. That they were going to drown. That the storm was going to overwhelm them. This is a new fear. This fear doesn't have anything to do with the storm. It's gone. This fear doesn't have anything to do with the boat sinking because it's up and ready. This fear has everything to do with God. They were afraid and they marveled. And they said to one another, Who can this be? For He commands even the winds and the water and they obey Him. I want us to think about this for a second. I really want you to think this through with me. Let's just put past, we've already addressed the fact of the things that these men had seen Jesus do. Okay? But maybe, maybe what we could say is, well, they had seen Him, you know, heal the sick, and they had seen Him make lame people walk, and they had seen Him even raise the dead, and they had seen Him command fish to do things. They had seen all that, but it's a storm. I mean, it's a raging storm. It's a hurricane. I mean, maybe that's, maybe that's a little above and beyond his capabilities. Why were they so astonished when Jesus did this? Well, these men knew the teaching of the Old Testament. Look at these scriptures. In Jeremiah chapter 10, the Bible says about God that He made the earth by His power and He established the world by His wisdom and He has stretched out the heavens at His discretion. And when He utters His voice, there is a multitude of waters in the heavens. And He causes the vapors to ascend to the ends of the earth. He makes lightning for the rain. He brings the wind out of His treasuries. See, they knew that. They knew that the Old Testament said in Psalm 65, By awesome deeds, uh, your answer, you will answer us with righteousness, our, the God of our salvation, the hope of all the ends of the earth, and the farthest, even in the farthest of the seas, the one who by his strength establishes the mountains, being guided with might, who stills the roaring seas. They had sung this, and the roaring of their waves... This is not new information. Write this down in your notes. Write down Psalm 107, beginning in verse 23 and following. If you read Psalm 107, you will find an Old Testament description of this exact story in the book of Psalms that every single person on that boat knew. So it wasn't just that they had seen Jesus do other things. They knew the promise of God to do this thing. Why were they so astonished? That's really the issue. They marveled and they were afraid because the power of God was transformed from their head to their heart, from information to experience. Everything that they had known previously about God became personal. You see, that's the blessing of the storm is that when you go into the storm, it's an opportunity for you to experience what you know about God in the reality of your life. You see, you're not going to see the power of God to rescue you out of unbelievable circumstances apart from being in those circumstances. You're not going to know God's relentless pursuit of you in love unless you are in a situation where He has to reveal that to you, where you cannot control what's going on around you. You see, you can't know God's ability to give you the strength to do things you could never do unless you've been depleted in Him. You see... 
It's about the storm and what it offers our lives. Some want to criticize the disciples for being afraid and astonished. Some want to look at the disciples and think, well, they should have known. But can I just tell you something? I believe there's some people in here that need to know this. There is no sin in desperation. The only sin in desperation is when you're trying to fix it yourself. There's nothing, there's nothing wrong with being desperate. God wants you to be desperate. He wants you to respond to Him in desperation. Our loving Heavenly Father will use the desperation in our lives to draw us to Him. He, he uses desperation to reveal to the lost man and the lost woman or the lost teenager or the lost grandmother or grandfather. He reveals desperation to reveal in our lives that He's the only rescue. That's how that comes through desperation. He uses desperation to reveal His grace and mercy and His power. Sometimes God uses desperation in the lives of His children to teach us to cry out to Him. He puts us in a position and gives us the opportunity to turn our lives and cry out to Him and trust Him that He may display His glory in our lives. There's a blessing in the storm, people. There's a blessing in the storm. Maybe today you're here and you know that you're His. You know that you're a child of God. But you find yourself today in utter desperation. You know, maybe on the way to church today you were just thinking, God, if you don't do something today, I don't know if I'm going to be able to make it another day. Maybe today you're afraid. Maybe fear has overwhelmed you by some storm that's in your life. I want to encourage you this morning. I want to encourage you in God's Word about His character for His people. In Deuteronomy 32, the Bible says, For the Lord will judge His people. Does that sound like bad news? The Lord will judge His people and have compassion on His servants. And when He sees that their power is gone. You see, in other words, here's what I want you to understand. The world's not going to judge you, Christian. The voice in your head that's trying to lead you astray and condemn you is not your judge. God will judge you if you are His. And how will He judge you? In compassion. He will respond to you in compassion. And when He sees that your power is gone, that you don't have any more ability, you don't have any more strength, you don't, He will respond to you in your desperation. Your Heavenly Father sometimes allows the storm to show you how much He loves you. Sometimes He allows the storm to show you that He's not giving up on you. You see, your Heavenly Father's already endured the storm. For you. He's already defeated the storm that's within you. Sometimes we miss that as children of God. Sometimes we get so caught up in the other voices that want to say, Woe is me. Why is this happening? God, are you punishing me? And it may be God just screaming, I love you. I love you and I want you to see me for who I am. Because the truth is, is that when your life is good, when everything's fine... When you don't have any problems, you ignore me. 
You're not interested in me. Day after day, you go about your life and everything's okay. And it's as if I don't even exist. But Christian, in the storm, he brings a storm because he loves you. Because he's not giving up on you. And if he has to put you in a boat and float you out in the middle of the lake and go to sleep, he wants you to know he's there. That's the God that you serve if you're saved today. But what if you're not? Well, what if you're here today and your life, you're filled with doubts? You're, you're not sure. You don't know. You, you have no assurance of where you are. You're curious. You want to know. You want to learn. You want to hear. But you just don't know. Could it be? Could it be that this gracious, loving God who reigns over the universe has allowed storms to come into your life, the storm that you're in right now, that He has allowed that to come in your life as a way to bring you unto Him? Is that possible? That God's love for you is so great that He refuses to give up on you. He refuses. And so even if it's through a storm, He wants you to see He loves you. And you say to me, well, but pastor, here's the problem. I'm, I'm, the storm is killing me and I don't know what to do. Cry out to him in desperation. Say, master, master, I'm perishing. I throw myself on your mercy and grace. Save me. That's what you do. What you don't need to do is leave here the way you came. What you don't need to do is just keep grumbling about it and keep wondering about it and keep trying to sort all this out. Listen, listen. These were men who knew God. And you say to yourself, well, they knew God. Well, why didn't they just, why couldn't God just leave them alone? Why couldn't God, why why did God have to do this? I mean, didn't they know God enough? No. The answer is no. The reason God had to do this is because God had something in store for these men. God had something in store for these men that for the rest of time we would know their names and we would hear their stories and we would, we would see the things that He did in their life because He knew that, it, that one day it wasn't going to be get in the boat and float across the lake with me. One day it was going to be, you're going to have to be crucified. You're going to have to be killed for me. You're going to be martyred for me. Your blood will be spilled for me. And in order for us to get from where we are to where we need to be. You need to see who I really am. You need to know my power. You won't die for me if you just kind of know me. You need to really know me. So we're going to go out here and get in a storm and it's going to be lesson number one. First, I told you about the soils. I told you about how the heart works. Now we're going to apply it. You know how we apply it? In the storm. That's how we apply it. It's the storm. is the application of the Word of God. That's where trust and faith grows. Thank God you're here. Thank God you're here. God, please give us ears to hear the voice of truth that is calling out to us in the storm. And it's not saying, I told you so. It's not saying, just sink to the bottom. It's saying, I love you. I love you. Cry out to me in desperation. Lay down your pride. Stop striving in your own strength. Come to me. I love you. That's what your heavenly Father's telling you today. He loves you. He's not satisfied to just leave us where we are. So what do you need to do today? What? I know there's hurt. I know it's hard. 
God loves you. I can't still the storm. I can't. Only God can. And the people in this room, there's people in this room right now. And you are in a hurricane. And water is coming over the edges. And it's hard. Thank God you're here. Find the blessing in the storm. Stand and pray with me. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for your love. And we thank you for how you teach us. Lord, thank you for your precious word. Lord, thank you for showing us things that we just can't know apart from you. And so, Lord, I thank you for every storm in this room. There are people that I love so dearly that are hurting so bad. And even in the midst of that, I say, God, thank you for their pain. Thank you for their storm. Because you're not done with them. There's something else. There's more. There's an opportunity to see you in a greater way today. Father, there's people in this room who who don't know you. Lord, I God, I pray. I pray, Lord, that today would be the day they find themselves in a position of desperation. That they would come to you. And they would lay their lives before you, Lord. Father, there's families here that are here every Sunday, but they're drifting. They're drifting. They're not, they're not a part of this family. They're, they're, they haven't joined this church. They haven't, they haven't committed before God that they're going to settle their lives here and they're going to be part of something amazing in this place. And Lord, I don't know why that is. But I ask today that a dad or a mom or a man or a woman would realize the desperation of being apart from your body to be disconnected is not a good place to be. Father, so today, deal, help us deal with our desperation in you. Heal the brokenhearted, Lord. Touch the, the wounded and the broken, God. Let this be a time of restoration and comfort in your love, God. Save the lost, we pray, Jesus. Save the lost. Thank you for your invitation to come freely, receive forgiveness and eternal life. Oh, God, so easy to say, so unbelievable to comprehend. Lord, do in this time what only you can do in Jesus' name.